are back. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass, and we are exploring faith, pursuing grace. And joining us tonight will be Dr. Alden Bass, a professor at Oklahoma Christian. And we are thrilled to have you this evening. And as I was saying before we hit record on this podcast, we are back from a weekend of cheering on my youngest daughter at the American Ninja Warrior Finals. And this weekend, I did a lot of yelling and a lot of screaming. My voice is not holding up well. So Kevin and Dr. Bass will be handling the vast majority of this conversation tonight. I may chime in here and there, but I'm largely just going to be sitting back and listening to these two titans of intellect hash out and discuss our topic this evening. Dr. Bass, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Kevin, that's your cue. Right. Take it away, is, brother. Is, is that my cue? All right, <laughs> that's man. That's your cue, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Alden, it's great to have you here, man. We are thrilled to be able to have you join us on the podcast tonight. Uh, just a little background. Alden and I barely know each other. <laughs> we uh, we met, I think, what, about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. We uh, we hung out at a coffee shop and just had a really good conversation. Um, Dr. Bass, he is a... Uh, a professor at Oklahoma Christian, and how, how many years have you been teaching over there? Uh, this is my fifth year this fall. Fifth year, awesome. And if you if you want to, just for a couple minutes, explain to the audience what all uh, you teach. What are some of the classes, and what is your specialty? Well, my specialty is actually early Christian history, so uh, that's not just the New Testament. I studied the first five centuries or so of early Christian history. Uh, but I rarely get to teach directly in my field, and that's pretty normal for uh, college professors. So I, I teach all sorts of things <laughs> in the Bible department. I teach scripture classes. I teach ethics and some philosophy. Um, occasionally, I get to teach something a little off the wall, like a, a class on death and dying. Uh, so I'm a generalist now. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Scholar of all things. You're a jack of all trades, master of a few of those. <laughs> so usually when we have a guest on, we just let them tell us what they would like to talk about because what we, we want uh, each individual to really bring their specialty to the conversation. Uh, Lee and I, we are really a specialty in nothing but being verbose in our conversations. And so people love it when we actually have people on our shows who know what they're talking about. And, uh, and, and you and I, we talked a little bit. And one of the, the questions I asked is, what exactly would you like to talk about? Is there any kind of uh, topics of interest? And what you said is very interesting to me because I don't really know what direction you're going to take this because you and I really didn't even discuss this much. And so um, I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. I can promise you we've not had this conversation yet uh, with anyone on our program. And that is talking about more of the modern monastic communities, um, Christian communities. Uh, I, I think the way that you described it was, an, it was intentional Christian communities. And so if you want to go ahead and start out and just kind of unpack that a little bit, define exactly what you mean when you say that. Sure, yeah. So uh, I think most of us understand the definition of community, at least it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, but a community at, at its most basic is just any group of people with things in common, right? You can have a, a sort of instant community when you step onto an elevator with a group of people. You share that little bit of space. You're sharing maybe a sense of direction. Uh, but that's a pretty thin kind of community. And actually, most of our experience in the modern world is pretty thin. 
Um, this has not always been the case. If you think back, um, imagine back, not even many decades ago, uh, small towns were more tightly knit. Of course, even farther back, village life, people were very involved. And that's because they shared a lot of things. Uh, they generally lived pretty close together. Uh, their work, their livelihood was interconnected, right? If one person in the village uh, was having a problem, that would affect a lot of people in the village. Uh, but fast forward to our time, big cities, a lot of anonymity, a lot of professionalization. And our experience of community is, is fairly thin, more like that elevator experience. Intentional Christian community is simply an effort that Christians make, and there are non-Christian forms of this, uh, to have thicker kinds of community, to have your life uh, more involved in the lives of other people. Um, in the case of Christians, that typically involves elements of discipleship, uh, certainly a shared worldview, a shared commitment to the way of Jesus. Uh, but the important thing, and I think what really sets it apart, is it pays attention to the physical, the material, the bodily. Uh, so we're concerned not only about sharing faith in some kind of abstract sense, uh, we, we have the same beliefs, we agree, but actually sharing life together. And that's things like food. Uh, in our case, it was a big house where a lot of us all lived in the same space. Um, it was time. We shared a lot of time together. So I would say intentional Christian community is an effort to recapture that. And just to sum it up in a way that probably a lot of us can understand, uh, our model was that community in Jerusalem, described in Acts chapter 2, where those believers were together daily, where they shared in the apostles' fellowship and teaching, and where they broke bread together. Uh, that's the kind of thick community that we were after and that uh, Christian intentional communities are after. Yeah, that, that's so interesting because we do live in a individualistic society. <laughs> I mean, there's just there's just no denying that. And even going to church, quote unquote, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of church has been redefined, it seems, by uh, a lot of Christians because church is not really viewed as a community as much as it is a place you go. And you may see some people for you know a couple hours, uh, maybe two or three times a week. And that's about it. Uh, I've personally met, in fact, Lee and I oftentimes will have people email us and they'll tell us that they finally feel like they even have people who understand and they can talk to and really have a community for the first time because they maybe have been going to a congregation all their life or a church group all their life and they really don't know anybody. And it seems, too, that mental health is is on the rise uh, or mental health. <laughs> mental health is uh, is a problem. A lot of uh, mental illness, maybe another way to put it, a lot of anxieties, a lot of stress. It seems that people these days, they don't have outlets. They don't have people to talk to. They don't have life. Uh, they're not able to share life with people. And I, I really think and I would like for you to kind of go into this a little bit, too, I really think that is a huge part of Christianity is that kingdom living, that it's not just a matter of making sure you're doing what you're quote unquote supposed to as a Christian, but it's about encouraging one another, being with one another daily. And while when we go to the Bible, that is crystal clear today, that almost seems like a foreign concept. And so what, why do you think developing an intentional Christian community, first of all, is so important? A lot of spiritual writers have talked about the, the spiritual journey 
um, the steps uh, of spiritual growth. So we're not talking about salvation or, you know, saved or not saved. That's a kind of binary. And unfortunately, that can get us stuck, right? Uh, yeah. I'm okay. I'm saved and I don't have to do anything. Uh, this is, this is we, we have to think in terms of that growth or trajectory. Well, as, as you mentioned, we do live in an individualistic society. And, and there's a sense in which I can only grow so far as an individual. In fact, a lot of spiritual writers would say you actually can't go very far at all on your own. We need each other in order to progress, in order to grow in the likeness of God. Uh, of course, fundamental Christian teaching is that God himself lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a sort of Trinitarian society of giving and receiving each other in love. You know, Father giving to the Son, the Son giving to the Father, and so on. Christian community is, is essential not only because it's, I believe, a reflection of God's own inner life, but because it's what I need. I need to, uh, in a really real, visceral way, bump into other people. Um, and by that, I mean, if you've ever shared a fridge with a roommate, you know what I mean by bumping into other people, right? <laughs> Just everyday little conflicts. And that's because if I have the patience uh, to work through those conflicts with my brother or sister who I'm sharing space with, that actually trains me. It, ex it extends my ability to be forgiving. It extends my ability to be patient. Um, and, of course, to receive patience and forgiveness as well, which is essential. Uh, one of the monks who we visited uh, in our community, I, I lived in a community like this for, for nine years, uh, and we would retreat occasionally to another community. And, and one year we went to a Benedictine monastery. And the monk who was talking with us, he said, uh, it's like those rock tumblers where you put in a sharp rock and those rocks spin and tumble and bump into each other. And it makes a terrible noise. But what's happening is those rough edges are being smoothed off. And if you've ever had one of these little toys, at the end of the process, you pull that sharp, ugly rock out and it's shiny and smooth and beautiful and, and that's what that bumping into does uh, as, as we bump into each other we we're worn smooth the rough edges the sinful edges uh and, and we i think grow closer and closer to god more godlike yeah, there's not a whole lot of bumping into each other when you already have everything figured out and you just show up and <laughs> you just kind of go through the the motions and the rituals. And, you know, there's so many passages in the Bible. I think of Ephesians chapter 4. That's the big unity passage. And, and it says there that we are to bear with one another in love. And... I, I, there, it's, it's very easy to see things the way I want to see it and to create uh, this artificial... I would even go as far to say informational isolation where the world is only the way I want it to be. And there's not a whole lot of accountability. And I, and I, and instead of really being able to have that community, to have those brothers and sisters so that we can work together, that we're able to see different perspectives and new perspectives. If, if we don't have that, then I know for me, I, I really lived in kind of that world for many years where everyone saw things just like I saw it, or at least we thought we did. You know, we, we never got too close because we didn't want to accidentally come across an issue that we may disagree on. And so we made sure to abstain from those things. And so there was always this sense of, well, well don't get too close with one another, which is the opposite 
of what we see in Christianity. A, a while back, we had a good friend of mine, Brandon Johnson, and I think you're familiar with Brandon too. You uh, came and spoke at Northridge when he was uh, the minister there, I believe, a year or two ago. But you know, he and I both, we were friends for many, many years, and we both were addicted to pornography. And it was a secret sin for both of us. And we were too scared to tell the other one because of what might happen. <laughs> we thought, well, if I, you know, if he tells, if, if I tell him, then he may not love me anymore. He may not be my friend. He may view me differently. And then I come to find out he was thinking the exact same things. And so while we had a limited sense of community, we really didn't have that deep relational community that, as you described, you were able to really, um, sharpen one another, but also kind of trim those edges down to where we're working with each other. We're not, we're not enemies. We're not fighting. We're not judging each other. We're trying to understand one another. And oftentimes people struggle with the, with the same weaknesses. Uh, people struggle with overall the same type of stuff. I mean, it may be different pragmatically speaking, but it, it all comes back to a lot of times just the same ideas and the same struggles. And, you know, I, I just don't see a whole lot of people sharing uh, these these days, and I, I don't know if that's something that that you've also noticed. And so, is there, you know, what what are some practical suggestions when we're when we're talking about these intentional Christian communities? Because most people listening to this, they're going to say, "Well, well, yeah, Alden, I, I I go to I go to church, and uh, I'm you know I I have a community." How would you respond to something like that? What would you say? Uh, is is that a Christian community? Is that an intentional Christian community? And if not, what can Christians do and what can congregations do to begin to develop that a little bit further than perhaps it is right now? Yeah, that's a, uh, some good observations, Kevin. Um, I, I grew up in small churches, rural churches. You're probably familiar with these little churches. Uh, I think there often is a very thick sense of community in those small churches. It's not necessarily because of the people's commitment, but because of the context. It's small rural American town where people have a, a sort of um, unintentional thick community. <laughs> you, you don't really have a choice in the matter. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I, I grew up uh, some in West Kentucky, and it's a tobacco community. And the people would go around to each other's barns uh, and help each other with the harvest. And if they didn't, they couldn't bring the harvest in. You know, they really depended on each other in a real way. And if somebody, again, was sick or, you know, uh, well, you just couldn't afford to cast somebody out for a silly reason because you needed each other. Yeah. Now, we're in a situation in our churches where we don't need each other in that way. And it's pretty easy for me to expel you because it doesn't cost me anything. I may not even miss you that much. Uh, you know, okay, I got to get somebody else to pass the communion trays. Good deal. <laughs> Um, to be integrated in each other's lives, kind of like a family, right? If you live, you know, you have kids, uh, Lee, you got a daughter. If, if a member of your household pulled out, it would leave a gaping hole in your life, at least for a long time, right? That's more like what community is. And, and church absolutely has the potential. I think God intended for it to move more in that direction. But most of us are in a context in urban America, a highly technologized society that just make it more and more difficult to experience that very full life. Yeah. Now, you're right. It's not something that our community, there were uh, a number of us who lived together in two houses across the street. Uh, we had about 14 people that lived together, had a vowed life, 
shared all our goods, ate together every week, a couple times a week. So let, let me interrupt day. you. Let me yeah. interrupt you too, just just so well I can understand and make sure I you know am clear too, and for the audience. So, are you speaking of uh, like celibate communities? Or are you just talking or like explain that a little bit? Were you married during this time? Did you have a family during this time? A physical family? Yeah, yeah. There were actually several married couples there. Um, children were in the household at different times. And I should say there are a lot of forms of intentional community. It doesn't take much Googling to see some different forms. In fact, if you're interested, the Nurturing Communities Network is a great resource uh, for a lot of different forms of community. They're often associated with, um, well, you, you use the word monasticism. Some people think celibate monks and nuns, and that's certainly a model that has been around for a long time. Yeah, that's what that's what kind of automatically just comes to my mind. And I'm like, okay, you know, were you, were you like a... Uh, a monk, or what was good? Were you like the Desert Fathers here? Or what? No, no, we, we weren't very. Were you eating all, mud but... pies and like, uh, you know, <laughs> what was? Uh, we modeled ourselves more on uh, Anabaptist communities. So Mennonites, uh, the Amish, have always had this sense of discipleship in thick community. Um, yeah, but not not old world. Mennonites who live out in the country, but um, there's a lot of Mennonite communities in urban areas and people don't know about them because they just sort of blend in. So, and there are a lot of other varieties of this. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously lived in a community uh, called Finkenwald uh, during the war. Um, there have been a number of, of models of this. So there's no one way to do it. It's just finding ways to share life intentionally. Yeah. Being in each other's space, sharing each other's stuff, uh, accountability is one part of it that you mentioned. Also, commitment. And and what commitment means, Kevin, is uh, when you do tell me something that is disturbing or I don't expect, uh, I'm not going to just run off. Uh, marriage is a great example of this, right? I need to be in a relationship where I know that if I screw up, you're not going to pack your bags and be out the door. You're going to give me grace, right? Uh, and, and, and baptism is a form of commitment like that, or at least it's supposed to be. Where I can trust you, even if I've you know, done something terrible or in sickness or in poverty, just like our marriage vows, right? My Christian brothers and sisters ought to be the people I can trust to uh, be there for me the same way I can my wife. Yeah, I was I was thinking about just the vulnerability aspect of, of being in a true relationship and how freeing it is and comfortable and truly transformative you can finally be when you are in uh, and among a group of people who are willing to to love you unconditionally uh, it doesn't mean that you know you can just keep doing whatever you want to of course and i don't think anybody would hold that position but it's the idea that f when someone messes up they're they're not kicked out and you were talking earlier, about, <laughs> I thought this was funny. You know, so many churches today, I mean, if someone leaves or if something happens, as you said, it may just be as simple as, oh, we've got to have someone to pass the communion tray or say the opening prayer or do the announcements. It's it's very... Um, it's, it's Transactional. Very, yeah, there, there you go, Lee. Uh, man, came out of nowhere, brother. I like out it. Out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> transactional, uh, frivolous. It's things that really don't have much value to them. Uh, and, and I think about the idea of disfellowship in certain churches. And, you know, Alden, I know you and I have talked a little bit about 
our backgrounds and we have some similar, so at least some similarities in our backgrounds, I believe, perhaps quite a bit of similarities. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed with a lot of churches is they would withdraw membership uh, or they would withdraw from someone and tell them that, you know, they have to repent. And usually it would be in the, in the cases I experienced, it would be churches who had members who stopped going for a period of time. And they would write them a letter, the eldership would, or the leadership would. They would tell them that they need to come back. They would give them a month or two months or however long the time period that they had set was. And if they didn't come back and repent, then you know they would go and talk to them in person. And once they would do that, maybe they didn't answer the door or whatever, and they sent them another letter. And then they would get in front of everyone in church and say, well, we have withdrawn our fellowship from XYZ. And as I got older, I thought about how nonsensical that really is because, uh, first of all, that person had already drawn their fellowship from that church a long time ago. Um, and also, there, there wasn't any relationship there to begin with because in order for me to withdraw my fellowship and relationship from you, I first have to have a relationship or friendship. And and that goes much further than just meeting you. You know, we've met in person one time. If I were to call you three days later and say, Alden, I'm withdrawing my fellowship, <laughs> probably would have little to no impact on you. And I, you know, I've I've had, I'm sure Lee has too, in our in our changes theologically, we've had people we don't even know reach out to us, or at least I have throughout the years, telling me they have withdrawn their fellowship from me. I never even met the person, didn't even know who they were. And so there's this kind of intangible idea of community that does nothing but focus on kind of this spiritual, uh, the, like 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 the that which can't be seen. And and I don't know, I may be wrong on this, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. I mean, is is there a sense in which maybe as the church, at least recently, some of us have focused too much on the quote unquote spiritual spiritual, and not enough on the physical, the here and now. You were talking about eating together and sharing, you know, diff all sorts of different things together, you know, our lives together, our jobs together, entertainment and fun together, games together, all of the conversation together. Is there a sense in which perhaps you think some churches at least have only focused on or have focused too much just on that quote unquote spiritual intangible and not enough on the 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 tangible that which can be touched that which can be felt the relationship that can be defined. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a big part of it. Um, you mentioned that we're an individualistic culture. Absolutely, we're also fairly dualistic, separating the physical and the spiritual, the mind and the body. Yeah. And we've tended to turn over the responsibility for the physical and the bodily to, well, we just don't give much attention to that, right? I, I, <laughs> Who cares? I was growing yeah. up and there were so many <laughs> things that I just didn't think the Bible didn't say explicitly about this topic, uh, like shopping or something. So mu must not must not matter or, or what kind of music I listen to, right? Other than like bad words. Um, well, now <laughs> I've realized that. You know, anything, all, all these things, all these physical things, they, they have a spirit, they have a directionality to them. And so, for instance, shopping, I can shop responsibly. I can shop like a Christian. I can shop like a human being or yeah. I, can, I can shop in an inhumane way, a way that's harmful to others, harmful to the earth, harmful to myself. Right. Mm, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I see that more now. Um, but yeah, if you read through the book of Acts. Um, Acts is really central, was central to me growing up. I read it 
I think I see much more in it now than I did then. Just look how much touching is 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 a is what part of what goes on. Uh, the apostles don't heal just by speaking. It's a touching. They commission each other by laying on hands. Baptism is such a physical, visceral action, right? Of of holding another person and washing them with water. And then you can think about stories with a little imagination, like uh, Tabitha, right? Whose body is laid out and the people are mourning her body. And you know those women had come the night before and washed her body because that was the custom. And that kind of tenderness, that sort of bodiliness, bodilinessness, sorry, uh, is really at the heart of Christianity, right? We believe in the resurrection of the body. So the the our response to sin and corruption shouldn't be to escape to the spiritual. It's redemption of the physical. Um, it's bringing the spirit back into the physical. Remember, Jesus, after the resurrection, breathes his spirit into the disciples, into their bodies, so that his resurrection spirit can enliven them. Um, probably the best example of this, and uh, Grant last week could say much more about this because he's such an excellent linguist, but in the Gospel of John, that idea of eternal life, if you read either the Gospel or the letters of John, very clearly he, he means something that starts right now. Mm-hmm. He means when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're experiencing a different quality of life, physical life. Jesus called it the abundant life. Um, and that's that's things like food and clothing and shelter and money, all these things. Faith speaks to them. Well, I think that's a really interesting point, and that brings up something that I have sort of ruminated on and thought about, especially in terms of the here and now. You know, there's there's a much greater awareness of how humanity and humankind has impacted the world that we live in you know, in terms of pollution, in terms of climate change and things like that. And without waxing political, because we, we try to keep from doing that on this podcast, but the idea of climate change and there being a human drive behind it is a really big hot button political issue nowadays. And it's, it's so interesting whenever you begin to have that discussion with different people of varying political um, perspectives to how visceral of a response you get, you know, some people that are more left-leaning are going to lean more into that. Some people that are more conservative are going to lean away from the idea of man-made climate change. And within the church, a lot of times, or in the past, I should say, my attitude was that of this is all going to burn up and melt with a fervent heat. So what do I care? You know, it's, it's all going to fall apart in the end. So what Mm -hmm. does it matter? Like, you know, shouldn't I focus on spiritual things above and beyond this physical realm, something that's not even going to last eternally anyway? I need to lay up treasures for myself in heaven. And, you know, misappropriating that verse to, you know, to make that case is, you know, it's not lost on me. That's something I used to do. But then I think in terms of my own home, you know, now I'm a homeowner. And if my house was falling apart, I'm not just going to let my house fall apart and think, well, you know what? It's all going to burn up anyway at the end of all time. I want to maintain it and I want to make it someplace that's that's worth living in. But it's not just the physical components of the house that are important to me. I want my home to be a happy home. That doesn't mean that the materials that comprise it are necessarily going to be happy. They're incapable of emotion because they're inanimate. But I want my life within this house to be a good fulfilled life, an abundant life through Christ, of course. 
I want my kids to be happy. I want them to feel safe. I want them to feel secure. And a part of that has to do with the structural component and integrity of the house as well. And I think what you're saying about that overlap between the spiritual and the physical, I think that's something that is lost a lot of times because we too tend, we do tend to bifurcate that. We do tend to become black and white in our thinking and we begin to de-emphasize that physical at the expense of the spiritual without forgetting that they really meld together and they go together. Yeah, you know, I, I was an adultly, uh, you probably already know this, before I really understood the rest of Second Peter 3, which is that passage about everything dissolving, right? But he ends yeah. that section, we wait for a new earth. Yes, yes. Where righteousness will be at home. And the Christian mission, God's mission, is not for us to just sort of sit around until that happens, but to live into that new home where righteousness is right now. And that's that's not something I just sort of pluck myself up out of society and go do like um, a, you know, a desert father. Uh, it's actually a thing I need to do with my family and with my neighbors and with those around me. We're, we're on a pilgrimage together. Um, yes. As I said, we can't do it alone. Lee, you were, you were bringing that up about it's all going to burn up anyway and, and uh, you know, Second Peter 3 and this is funny because Bethany and I, Bethany's my wife, and uh, we always joke about recycling. She's she's big into recycling and always has been. And I used to joke with her about it all the time. I used to call her, you know, Mrs. Captain Planet. And, uh, you know, also just really kind of mocking the idea because that was the way I was trained. The, the churches that I went to, even when it came to my physical body, most of the ministers that I was around, they were they were overweight. And I, look, I'm not being ugly about this. I'm just simply saying that they were and, and they didn't really care much about their physical health. And they would sometimes even explain why they would say, well, look, hey, this body, it's going to it's going to be gone one day anyway. And, you know, I, I shouldn't really care about it. I shouldn't really care about taking care of my body and, and exercise. And I need to make sure I'm studying the Bible and I need to make sure that I'm I've, I've got all of my doctrine correct. And it, it was, it was almost this, it wasn't quite dualism, but it was certainly, I think the ongoing effects of dualism where we would say, well, you know, yeah, we do have a body and, but, you know, I really don't need to take that good care of it because at the end of the day, it's, it's just my spirit that matters. And the earth itself really doesn't matter. We don't have to worry about climate change. We don't have to worry about global warming. Uh, those things probably are just put here by, uh, by evil evolutionists. It's, it's false ideas, and they're just trying to turn us away from God. And I mean, I've heard all sorts of different things. And, and you brought up a point of just going shopping, how there's as a Christian, a Christian shops a certain way uh, uh, versus someone who's not a Christian or taking into a Christocentric ideas. Um, you know, if, if I am a Christian, then I'm not going to go and spend everything I have to the point where I don't have anything anymore because that's not the way a Christian should be. That's not a, a good stewardship. And I'm seeing a, what you're saying. There seems to be a lot of relation, a lot of uh, tie-ins between the relationship of community and stewardship. And when you when you think of major events, and my sister, she was killed in a car wreck when, uh, when she was 17, and I was 13 at the time. And we went to a pretty large congregation. It's probably about five or 600 people at the time. And 
I remember that at that time for the two or three months, I mean, we were just showered with love. I mean, pampered with love, right? Everyone was there. People were there. If there's anything we can do for you. But slowly, after a period of time, that was no longer there. And, and I'm not talking about having casseroles brought to your house every night. I'm talking about that support that was there that said, hey, we're, we're here for you. And it wasn't unintentional. I don't think people decided we don't care about the Pendergrass family anymore. I think it's a matter of, of, of let's move on now. And then when someone else has a family member to die, then we'll go and take care of them. And it seems like it's you know, people really come together on major events but I wonder if there's a way to come together day, daily, <laughs> day to day, as we see in Acts chapter two, you've already brought this up. If you look at the book of Acts constantly, they were together daily. No one lacked anything. Why? Well, if someone needed something, they would go and sell something that they had, and then they would go and give it to the poor, those who would need it. And it was just this community who took care of each other all the time, not just on the surface level, but it seemed to be on a very deep level. That, you know, I, I think of even Jesus said that people will know you're my disciples. Why? Because of the love you have for one another. This wasn't just some internal spiritual love. This was demonstrated through their actions. It was demonstrated with how they treated one another. And so I, I'm wondering, so you actually said you lived in a community like this. You said for, for eight years, nine years. Is that right? Right. So how, first of all, I'm curious, how did you get into that community? What, what brought you into that community exactly? Well, um, I, I think that part of it was our formation. My wife grew up very, very much in the same way that I did, small towns, small churches, church camp, uh, really a communal formation. It was unintentional in a lot of ways, but thick, a thick kind of community. Uh, and so when we got married and went off on our own, uh, I, I think that we were just sort of propelled by that formation. Uh, and we had some people come and stay in our home. We, we had a woman uh, in Nashville at the time who was homeless and uh, she was displaced because of a, a abusive relationship. And she came and lived with us for several months. And we had a tiny little house, right? Uh, and we, we thought we were on to something. So we invited another woman to come in. Well, this other woman was a schizophrenic and uh, had some pretty severe mental illness. And uh, so we figured out really quickly, we weren't experts of this, we, you know, very young. Uh, so we were chastened a bit, but that impulse to to share our home, to open it up to strangers, to provide uh, the kind of radical hospitality, again, that you see in Acts, um, someone like Lydia inviting Paul in, or the Philippian jailer washing Paul's wounds. Um, we went to Honduras for a year and served down there, and that exposed us to a very different kind of culture, um, not individualistic, but much more uh, extended family-oriented, much more communal. We lived at a boy's home, and you know, in Central America, the, everything's kind of open because the weather's nice all the time. So you're just in each other's business all the time. And that was normal. So when we moved back to the States and I, I started grad school, we knew we didn't want to go back and just live in a suburb uh, that didn't feel right to us at the time. We, we wanted to try to bring together these experiences. We were at a campus ministry at the time in St. Louis. And we just said to the, to the other people in the ministry, um, We've been reading, we've been thinking and praying about this idea. We wanted to share it with you and see what you guys thought. There were a couple of guys there that said, we've, we've been reading and thinking some of the same things, coincidentally. And the four of us, and then five of us, uh, started to look for a house. We found a house. 
uh, we started reading some traditional uh, communal literature, I guess you'd call it, uh, the, the uh, rule of St. Benedict, uh, the rule of St. Francis, the rule of Augustine, um, Bonhoeffer's life together. And we read that and then we crafted our own rule of life. We said, here's uh, what we want this life to look like. That's the intentional piece. Um, we're going to do these things every week and we're going to commit to it. Now, it's not like, a, you know, you could walk out the door anytime. Uh, so this isn't a cult. We were just a bunch of 20 year olds who, you know, at one level you could look at it and it looks like room. Were y'all right? like drinking Kool-Aid every Friday night? I just, I just want to make sure. Yeah. You know, you're right. what's going on. <laughs> so, you know, if you were actually there, it feels pretty normal, but there was this deeper structure, right? This kind of commitment. And we were trying, we were living into it. We were green and didn't know what we were doing. Uh, but God was faithful through our mistakes, and we also learned a ton from our neighbors. We had moved into a, a black neighborhood in St. Louis. Um, that's where we thought we needed to be, and our neighbors were incredibly gracious to us and ended up teaching us lots of things. We thought we were going to come in and save the day. Um, and uh, it grew, and people were drawn into this way of life, and other people moved in, and you know, people kind of came and went. Uh, we tried to have a, a, a vow of stability, right? So you need to be there for a while. We, we don't want people just to be a revolving door in and out. Um, and those rough edges started to wear down a little bit. And we learned to put up with each other. And eventually we learned to love each other in a really deep way. And I, I think I can safely say those few years in an intentional community I left with relationships deeper than I've had of 20-year relationships uh, because that, that year was so packed with daily interaction that I had a depth of relationship. Uh, and I, I'm not in the community right now, and I grieve it. It's a loss. I don't have that kind of relationship right now. And I, probably a lot of us have had that at one point or another. Church camp is like a really concentrated. Yeah, that, that, right? that, that, that's exactly what I was I was thinking, man, because, you know, especially growing up, you go to church camp and you come back and you're like, man, that was just the best week of my life. And it was just fantastic. And, you know, every, everybody just can't wait to go back. And uh, yeah, when, when you were saying that, man, that's what's funny. I was literally just thinking about church camp. <laughs> well, like and, well, and it, in this conversation and with you, you know, describing your experience with that intentional community it and likening it to church camp, that's where my, my mind went to, you know, there are some young men that I bunked with, and this has been 20 years ago, you know, I still remember these guys. Now, I mean, they've gone off and they're doing life in various places. And there are some of them that I've still kept up with, but that point of contact has waned over the years, but it's, it is, it's, it's very, very special. And it really, in my mind speaks to why we may be seeing some decline within the religious world today is because you don't have that tight knitness within the church and within the one cup group of the churches of Christ, that's one of the reasons why it was a way more difficult decision for my wife and I to leave than probably what it would have been to begin with. 
because even though my convictions pertaining to the various pet doctrines that are held by that group had shifted and I didn't hold them as sacrosanct anymore, they weren't heaven or hell issues in my mind anymore. In the minds of so many of my brethren within that group, those things are still heaven or hell issues. Whenever your perspective shifts and you're not really tied to people, it is easier to depart. It is easier Mm -hmm. to church hop and go find yourself somewhere else. But within the one cup group, there is a much deeper sense of community than what you may find in other groups. And that sense of community, it is something that you do lose. It is something that you do grieve whenever it's gone, whenever you do lose it. And that's one of the things I love with about where we've landed is it seems like that congregation, even though it's much, much larger, it has a small rural congregation feel to it. You know, we've only been there a few months and everybody knows our names. People love us. They talk to us. They reach out to us on a regular basis throughout the week. It really is remarkable and it's really been a blessing, but that's it just from what I understand and from what I've read, it really is the exception to the rule. You don't see that kind of intentionality within the religious world as much as what we probably ought to. Yeah, I um, I have a theory that the restoration tradition is especially suited to this and that it's sort of in our DNA. And I wrote an article for the Missio Dei journal called uh, Radical and Restorationist. And uh, part of it is these small town agrarian roots. And I think it's formed a lot of us, especially if we grew up in, it's a small fellowship. It's not a big uh, national denomination, right? We have a sense uh, of being a minority um, that does really depend on each other. And even that sectarian spirit, uh, uh, we have to tread lightly on doctrinal issues. Even that sectarian spirit is a, we need each other uh, because it'll be hell if I'm kicked out or hell if I leave. Now, that's so destructive, as we all know, but there's also a sense in which it's, it's formed us into a tight community. There's this positive side, and the historian Richard Hughes uh, has actually written a lot about this positive dimension of sectarianism within the Stone Campbell movement. Um, and that was certainly my experience. You know, I, I just based on the name of this podcast, I can t- I can hear where you guys are coming from, right? Um, but one risk is uh, when we when we get out of that is we feel kind of at sea. Uh, our 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 experience in intentional community was this beautiful, and it's not. We had a really great experience. I should note, not everyone does. Uh, being together every day is opens you up to. To, to sin in new ways as well. And a lot of communities uh, have egregious moral failure and abuse and terrible, right? So like any great thing, the better it is, the more potential it has to be terrible. <laughs> the better a church is, the more terrible it is when it falls apart. Um, nevertheless, we found within our little community, which was ecumenical, had people from different fellowships, uh, this really beautiful balance where we kind of had this non-sectarian sectarianism where we depended on each other, but not for those doctrinal type things. And it wasn't a heaven and hell thing. It was being together makes life better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it just, it feels good. It feels right. Um, and it wasn't just feeling, we believe there was a biblical basis for it, but that feeling seemed to confirm it. Yeah. Yeah. When, you know, talking about where a lot of churches are right now, especially the more institutionalized churches where they're set up and structured more like a business. And it, it, it seems like churches are trying 
to gain a better sense of community. They're, they're, they're wanting to work toward that goal. And I've worked with several different churches, been a part of several different congregations. And one of the things that every single member that I have specifically talked to about this will, will agree. And they'll say that my favorite thing about church is small groups. When we get together and we, we actually share what we're going through, we're able to talk, we're able to, to have a real conversation, not just the typical stereotypical, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, it's good to see you this morning. And then that's it. You're, you're really able to actually talk and you're able to have those conversations. You're, you're able to talk about your struggles. You're able to rejoice with other Christians, uh, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We're starting to sound um, very, very Christ-like, <laughs> you know, at, at this point, something that Jesus was encouraging us to do as his disciples. But I, I do feel that because I, I don't want the audience to think it's all doom and gloom, because I do think that there are churches who are trying to go that direction. But also, statistically, church membership in institutionalized churches are definitely dropping off. Uh, COVID really, really was a major impact on church numbers. And I don't know exactly what they are now. I was talking to a friend of mine, and this has been a little while back, a few months ago, but he was saying it's anywhere from you know, 20 to, to 40% at some congregations and churches, even more that they've lost. And you know, my question is, well, where are they going? And what what community do they have now? And I've had conversations with some of these people and they say, well, Kevin, I never had a community before. <laughs> now I just realized that that's why I left. I realized I was just wasted my time. I never even really had a community before. And we started a home church for a short period of time uh, during during COVID. And we were able to have anywhere from, oh, I don't know, probably 20 to 30 people uh, week in and week out. And even that, there was just a sense of, of such closeness, being able to talk to people, being able to really have those true relationships. It's something you want to do. It's something you actually enjoy. And then we we came across Dayspring and started going there because uh, to me, that's that's a, a true community uh, we have felt ever since we've been going there. And I told Bethany, I said, you know, it's a it's that's a place I, I want to go. I look forward to going to quote unquote church <laughs> and it, it should be like anything. Do you, you know, I, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, do you enjoy hanging out with your best friends? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, that's how, that's how Christian fellowship should be. It shouldn't be something that we're like, Oh, I got to go and do this. I got to go and do that. But it appears that so many churches, especially once again, I use the word institutionalized churches in America have structured the idea of church around corporate worship and not day-to-day -day living. There's almost this reversal <laughs> instead of day-to-day -day living where, yes, we do worship. It's, well, we worship and that's why we come together. And every now and then there may be some times we get together. It may be a Sunday potluck at the fourth Sunday of each month, or it may be a Wednesday ice cream uh, dinner or something like that. But there's not this continual habitual encouraging. And I, I think of Hebrews chapter three, I believe it's verse 13, that says we, we are to edify and admonish one another daily. And when I read that passage in times past, I thought, oh, that's just Paul or the writer of Hebrews being hyperbolic. But what I realized is they really were getting together daily <laughs> like that. That's more more than likely what was taking place. It wasn't just a one once a week or even a couple times a week. This is something that they were constantly involving themselves in. And so with all of that said, since we do see churches going to 
sometimes more small groups, uh, even some people now starting home churches or at least more opportunities to worship in their home with other Christians. Probably most people, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm overstating the case, but a lot of people perhaps listening to this, they're probably not going to go research uh, a, a monastic community uh, like you're talking about and just say, hey, let's let's go in and start that or join that today. If that's not what they do, what are some practical ways that they can be intentional? Because Lee and I get these questions all the time. Yeah. We have we have people who email us and they go, look, I don't have a Christian community anymore. They they usually, you know, most of our audience, they're people who have come out of uh, some sort of legalism. Um, we don't want to restrict that to just the Church of Christ because there's legalism in all denominations. But there have been people who've come out of a legalist environment, usually a toxic environment, um, and they have been they have been cut out of the group that they were a part of, and they don't know what to do. In fact, that's a lot of fear for people of why they don't change. What allows them to not follow their intellectual honesty is they're afraid of, well, what's going to happen if I do let people know what I really think, what I really believe? I'm going to be, I'm going to be kicked out of this group, and then what? And there have been people who've made those decisions anyway because they believe it's the right thing to do. But now they're left with nobody. We get emails like this all the time from them to say, you know, hey, you guys are the first people I've reached out to. I haven't gone to church in two months. I don't know what to do anymore. I haven't lost my faith. I just don't know what to do. And I need a community. So what what are some practical ways? What are some tools, some resources, um, just some some things that you would say to help people who are in those types of situations and not even necessarily in those extreme situations, but just people who are looking for more community? Yeah, well, it's good to remember that uh, people are different places in the journey, and I, I certainly would not recommend everyone to just jump right into something like we had. That would be a mistake for a lot of people. Uh, some of the people in the situations you mentioned really need space to heal. Uh, they may long for community or miss it in some way, but but they may just need to heal before jumping right back into another situation, right, that consumes their life. So I think we have to have a certain kind of self-awareness and we need trusted people in our lives who can help us discern. And that's a word we used a lot in our community is if you wanted to come join us, it wasn't just like, yeah, come on in. Uh, we had a months long process of discernment where we sat down and we talked about who, you know, who are you? What do you want? Uh, what are we about? And we stopped and we were quiet. And we listened and we tried to listen to the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we said, no, this isn't going to be a good fit. So I, I and that's OK. That's OK. People are just at different places in their journey. Um, you mentioned small groups, and I think that is a great way that churches uh, build community. Uh, there are there's a couple of dangers with small groups. One is that they become affinity based. That is, I just am with my friends or the people who are like me. Mm -hmm. uh, if you read about the, you know, the church in the New Testament, it's slaves and wealthy people, it's Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, it's men and women, all these different groups mixing up. And, and it's a horrible mess in Corinth. But that's, you know, for Paul, that's exactly what we're called. We're called to be this horrible mess in the name of Jesus, right? And be yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's not hard to bear with someone who acts like you, looks like you, talks like you, believes like you. <laughs> exactly. Plays the same games as me and so on. Yeah. Uh, so we have to be careful, even with the small group setup, that we're still finding ways that we can get on each other's nerves. Because it's through that conflict that we actually grow. 
And, and I believe you talked about these church exploding events and we've all experienced them. Part of it's because we don't know how to have a civil conflict. We don't know how to disagree on little things. And when something even slightly bigger comes up, we just lose our minds uh, mm-hmm. because we haven't developed those muscles to actually work through conflict. And if you, you know, in a serious relationship, marriage or something for a long time, you, you know this, you've worked through it. But as a church, those muscles are not well exercised. So I think the most basic thing is find ways to be together regularly. Um, the second thing is it should be convenient for you to be together regularly. In other words, if I'm having to drive across town to be with you, uh, you, you I think use this expression, and I know what you mean. You said, go to church. Uh, we shouldn't yeah. have to go. We should get to go, right? But you're still going. It's still a location. I, I think Jesus calls us to be the church, not yeah. go to the church. And that means I have to have the church relatively close to me. And ideally, and this is not practical for everyone, and I certainly don't think everyone has to do this, but if you can be within walking distance of a brother or sister, your life is going to be richer. Your kids are going to be safer. Your marriage is going to be healthier. You're going to have people you can depend on. Because here's what happens when you live within walking distance. It's really easy to get together and pray. It's really easy to get together and play, which is essential for our humanity. It's really easy to get together and eat. It's really, well, it gets easier to ask each other for help. And that's one of the hardest things for us as Christians to do is just ask each other for help. So I say that's where things have to move if we want more out of life. And and if you're in a small group for a while and you like it, that, that is what you want. You want to be together more and more. Well, let's structure our lives in a way that makes it convenient. Easier to pray, easier to witness what the kingdom looks like. Um, the, the worst thing we could do is say, let's plan more activities and still live 30 minutes away from each other, because then we're going to be stressed out of our minds, which is what most of us are right now anyway. <laughs> yes. Yeah, at that point, it just becomes a burden to a lot of people. And exactly. I think that's why a lot of, uh, a lot, I won't say a lot, some people have left these uh, more institutionalized churches because. All they've done is they said, well, let's just hire another minister to plan more events. And <laughs> people are like, I'm already doing too much. I'm already burned out as exactly. it is. And uh, the last thing is she pointed out, is like, oh, no, not not something else to put on my calendar. Um, you know, it, it, and I think when you look at, at just relationships, um, you know, I, I, I boil it down, first of all, to a really uh, a minimalist approach where if, OK, just consider your friend or your, or your spouse. And I think of me and my wife, you know, we don't put, I mean, yes, there's some things we put on our calendar, don't get me wrong, but because we literally do life together, uh, we're just able, as you point, uh, pointed out, it's convenient to, for us to just go and do stuff. We, we don't say, oh, well, you know, we were going to go, you know, we didn't have it on the calendar to hang out tonight at the park, so I guess we can't do that. It's just, it's natural. It's something, hey, let's, let's go and do this. Same thing with a lot of our friends who are close by. We're able just to... Uh, be very spontaneous. And I think a lot of times fellowship in the Bible seems to be something that is organic and spontaneous. Not not to say that structure and organization is wrong or anything of that nature, but a true uh, friendship is usually going to happen in the in the 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 times that we're not expecting it, some of our greatest moments are times we didn't plan. <laughs> and you know what I'm hearing if, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that's really how church 
quote unquote, should be community. Uh, it should be this kingdom where we're just around each other, where we're just able to, it's easy to be together. It's easy to to love each other. It's easy to pray for one another. It's not a burden. I don't think it's a burden to to hang out with, with my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ or ask them to pray or whatever it may be. And I think what you brought, you brought up a phenomenal point about really developing that muscle of patience and tolerance with other Christians, because this is something I try to work on. Uh, you know, we all like to be around people like us who believe like us, who think like us, and it's comfortable. It's enjoyable. It's it also gives us a sense of validation and affirmation. But as you pointed out, when you look at the congregations in the Bible in the first century, there was all sorts of diversity. And when you have that diversity, the stronger the diversity, usually the stronger the relationship. The more that you've gone through different battles and you are able to work through those battles and both parties are committed to to making it work, then that's going to be a rock solid relationship versus two people who go into a relationship who say, okay, you know, you can't mess up. Everything's got to be perfect. And then the first time something happens or there's a disagreement, nope, nope, that's, I can't believe you don't see things the way I see it. It's very fragile is the word I like to use. Fellowship right now among Christians is such a fragile thing, and it shouldn't be. It, it, sh- it should be rock solid. It should it should be something where we can clash and be okay and have those disagreements. Um, and I think a lot of that, too, is probably just the effects of our society where every everybody always seems to be on edge. Everyone is so argumentative. I mean, it's it's it, it, everything is already at a very high level of, you know, it doesn't take long to escalate. It's, it's already there. And uh, if we can bring that back down, well, what, what helps to bring that back down when you have a relationship? If I don't know who you are and I'm on Facebook, I may go after you because I don't care. Who cares what happens? I'm just going to tell you how wrong you are. But if you're my best friend and I see you on Facebook, I'm probably going to handle that different because there's a real relationship there. And uh, this this has been fantastic. I know that our audience has missed Lee chiming in. He's been able to chime in a few times, but they've probably missed not only his beautiful voice, but also <laughs> his uh, his wonderful um, questions. And always he's always able to add so much to this program. So I have missed you, Lee tonight being able to uh, to add so much as you normally do. Well, and what our audience doesn't know is I have been coughing my head off behind the scenes. I've kept my microphone muted for the majority of this conversation because, like I said, I about lost my voice yelling this weekend and cheering all of the uh, ninjas at Riley's Ninja Gym. And if people are like, ninjas, what are you talking about? It's that program, <laughs> American Ninja Warrior. People have probably seen it, the obstacle course racing and stuff like that. She's eight years old and she crushes it. So we had a really good time. And yeah, I've been coughing a lot. So Kevin, I appreciate your kind words. And Alden, we appreciate you and taking the time to be on our program, man. We we appreciate it tremendously. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I wonder, brother, is there anything that you would like to add or any parting words that you would like to share before we sign off and wrap it up? Well, I just appreciate what you guys are doing. I know that you are providing a kind of community for a lot of people that are lost in, in, the, in the most literal sense of that word, loss, not going to hell loss, but who have just lost their way. So I appreciate that you guys are there for them and the kind of community that you do provide. And I think it probably is going to invite people into that thicker and thicker vision of the New Testament, that beautiful vision of the kingdom of God. 
Well, well thank you so much for for coming on, and it's it's been a phenomenal uh, podcast because this is something that is so unique. This is something that probably a lot of people maybe have heard of in concept, but not have really explored in detail. And uh, that's what our podcast is here for. We want to invite folks on to hear ideas that maybe they've never heard before. Our our ultimate goal is to draw people closer to Jesus and a relationship with him and other, and other believers to, uh, to love God and love people. And I hope there may be, you know, I'm I'm hoping that there are people out there who, uh, when they listen to this, this is going to be something that they can really take to heart and uh, just being purposeful. Uh, whether you live in a specific community like you did for many years, or whether it's just a a matter of taking the initiative to say, you know, I'm going to be more purposeful. I, I this is this is what God has designed humans to do is to to live with one another uh, in in community, not in isolation, <laughs> and uh, to be able to to be there for one another. And so, thank you so much for coming on. Yes, I want to echo what Kevin said. Thank you so much. To our listeners, we want to thank you all as well. This podcast, this program would not be what it is without you. Without Lee, you one guys. more, one more oh. thing. Oh, go ahead. Just interrupt, interrupt my, my exit here. Just go well, ahead. I, yeah. The exit was so beautiful. I had to, I had to interrupt <laughs> it though. Alden, are there any, you had mentioned a resource at the beginning. We always like to give our audience resources. And so if there's, you can send any links to, to me or Lee, and we'll also post those in the podcast notes when we post it. But are there any that you want to go ahead and advertise? Any books, any resources, any websites that you want to tell the audience about? And you can shamelessly self-promote on this too. If you have any resources that you have developed that you would like to share, this is your moment, brother. Go right ahead. <clears throat> Thanks. Uh, I mentioned the Nurturing Communities Network. Uh, which is a network of communities across the country and uh, some international communities as well. Uh, This is a great entry point into uh, a Christian community. It's not any particular denomination. It's a range of of groups, a range of forms of community. And the great thing about Nurturing Communities Network is they actually have gatherings about once a year uh, of, of people who live this way and people are invited. For instance, we have a, a gathering down uh, in Abilene in October. And anyone in the Oklahoma, Texas area is welcome to come and visit. And that's all on that website. Um, <clears throat> if you're interested in this, the, the um, Intentional Christian Community Handbook is a great place to start, written by my friend David Jansen, who's lived in the Reba Place community up in Chicago uh, for oh, 50 years, I think. Uh, so that's a great resource. Uh, my friend Charles Moore, who has been part of the Bruderhof community for many, many years, has written several books, but Called to Community is a good place to start. I do have an essay in that book, but there's much better ones than mine. So I really recommend it, some classic resources. Um, and I'll send you a link. I mentioned that piece I wrote on specifically the restoration movement and intentional community. That's just my own personal interest. Uh, but you don't have to search very far. There's, of course, crazy things out there. There always are. Um, but those resources are people that I, I know and trust and that can uh, give people more information. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And Kevin, unless you've got something else to add, I'm going to go ahead now. <laughs> I, give you permi- I give you permission. You're good, man. You're awesome. Good. That's one of the things I love about you is that we can rip on each other and we stay in fellowship with each other. It's a beautiful thing. I'm withdrawing after today. Hey, a lot of people did want you to withdraw from me at one point in time. So. Yeah, and I'm glad I didn't. But in any case, 
<laughs> Me too, man. I'm, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad too. Wouldn't be the same without That's you. That's right. But we thank all of you. We love all of you. Give us that five star review on uh, iTunes and join our Facebook community. We set up a group for people who are, you know, seeking things, who are exploring their faith, who are looking for a better way forward or even a different way forward than what they're accustomed to. So if you're on Facebook, that that cesspool of 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 anger and rage and animosity. We've created, carved out our own little niche, our own little corner there that is free from all of that toxicity. So those of you that are out there, if you're on Facebook, look for us. We'd love to have you. We appreciate all of you and we wish you all the best. Good night.